Well, many of you know that uh, my family and I traveled to San Francisco for uh, my nephew's wedding last Sunday, and uh, you know, I'm one of those guys who, who, if you go on a trip, how many of you, before you go on a trip, you're the planner? You, you scope it out, try to you know, figure out everything, right? So uh, my sister had made us some hotel uh, arrangements uh, in San Francisco itself, sort of by Pier 39, and me being you know, the shepherd's scope-out guy, decided to Google it once I got it and found out it wasn't in the best of neighborhoods for a family of, what are we, seven? Seven of us, right? So I, I went, and, and the reception was across the bridge, across the Golden Gate Bridge. So I said, well, let's find another place over there. We found a Holiday Inn Express over there. But then in my explorations of San Francisco, trying to get a handle on it, uh, I found out that coming back south across the Golden Gate Bridge is when you pay the toll, right? Going north across is free. Coming back is a toll. And I had never done this toll thing, right? I mean, most 90% of the time in Ojai, right? <laughs> Everything in Ojai is 10 minutes across. You don't need a toll. Can you imagine if they put a toll booth, right, at Signal, right? Toll, right? That's for the big city folk, right? So I asked somebody in my family, I said, how does this toll thing work? And he says, well, do you have fast track? I said, no. I had to figure out what's fast track. <laughs> I'm like, fast track? All right. And he says, well, you know, just as you're, coming, as you're coming south, just stay out of a certain lane and go to these other lanes. And he tried to explain it to me so you don't get a ticket. I'm like, Ooh, you can get a ticket? I didn't know you could get a ticket, right? So we're coming across to go to the reception, and, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, Anyone ever give you directions and you're trying to follow them because you're, like, nervous, like, you don't want to mess up, right? So I'm there, right, and I'm just, and suddenly signs and we're getting to the bridge and I'm, like, trying to figure it out. You ever been in a new place where suddenly every sign matters on the street, (laughs) right? Trucks use that lane, right? And I'm like, what, what, what? And, And then there's not, the description that I was given did not match what I was seeing, and I'm going across the bridge, and my anxiety goes like this. And I'm like, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to get a ticket, right? And if you've been across, you're there, and then they just it's all just lit up in red and green and telling you which. There's no toll booths anymore. There's no person taking your seven bucks, right? You just drive right on through, and they take a picture of your license. I did not know that. So I'm like... Where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? And, you know, my family's like, go there, go there, go there. And, you know, and, and I just pick a green light and I go, and I'm like, we're going to get a ticket, you know. And they're like, calm down. It's okay. It's okay. They're going to send you a picture, right? And I'm so, like, riled up, you know. I'm like, T, Google how this works. So she's behind me and, she goes, and then she sends me a link while I'm driving. Okay, you'll just pay it online, Dad. It's okay. It's, it's, this is how it works in the real world in 2018, Dad. When you venture out of Ojai, this is how the big people live, right? You just go through, you can pay online, or they'll send you an invoice, right? But I was so like, which lane am I supposed to be in, right? And I was so anxious about not being in the right lane, right? And I think a lot of us as believers, as if we've been going through this study on grace and what it means... Some of us may go, you know, okay, I got this general sense, but am I, am I going down the right path? Am I positioning myself to receive God's grace as he intends? 
right? And, and, and I want to spend today and launching into uh, the next few weeks together is, is actually asking yourself, are you, am I positioning ourselves to receive God's grace? Right? Are we doing, the Bible says, work out your salvation, not work for, work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we have a responsibility. Are we doing what we need to be doing to position ourselves to be receiving God's grace? Now, this fall, we've been looking at grace as a whole. A definition, we've been looking at kind of foundation, just kind of a broad review. Grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification, right? So we've seen that grace is not just being saved by grace, unmerited favor, nothing we can do to earn it, right? That's one element. Second side of the coin is grace and sanctification. We're here in need of God's grace right now. Right now, because this walk with Jesus, to be a passionate follower of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, i got to be honest with you, that's a supernatural work. But many of us, somewhere along the line, may have picked up this idea that I'm saved by grace, unmerited favor, it's a gift I receive, and now I'm supposed to just work really, really hard with all of my best effort. And that's just, that's just exhausting. And honestly, that's just impossible. That's just impossible. And that kills your joy. This abundant life that Jesus calls us to have and follow, it's all gone because we're just striving. And we're not receiving God's grace. Right? A verse for us, key verse for the fall was Romans 5.17. For if by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive, that means to grasp, that means to take, right? Present tense. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign. Everyone say reign. In life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I love that verse because as as I receive, as I grasp continually... There's a, there's a relationship between me receiving God's grace as a believer and reigning in life. Victory. Victory. We've talked before. Many of us somehow picked up the, this sort of false idea that Christianity, you come follow Jesus, and now you're just supposed to endure. Following Jesus is just a big Spartan race. You're enduring until you get to the pearly gates. And then that's where the party set starts. Is that what this is? Are we here just enduring this covenant relationship? Or are we supposed to enjoy? Are we supposed to have victory? Are we supposed to be walking in newness of life, in the power of the resurrection, right? Why, why aren't we? Why are we, many of us, just enduring, right? I get the privilege to, to marry many people over the past almost 30 years of ministry. Can you imagine at a wedding ceremony? Right there, married those two. Married several of you in here, right? Imagine if I said, we are gathered here to celebrate Jason and Kristen as they vow before God to endure one another. 
kind of would take the wind out of the sails about that covenant relationship. You're right, right? Right? Can you imagine how that proposal would go? Kristen, my dear, will you endure me <laughs> till death do us part? Right? <laughs> now, don't tell me if that's really happening. Like, I'm like, how did he know? <laughs> right? No. Versus this idea that this covenant relationship in marriage is supposed to be good. Amen? It's supposed to be a positive thing. Go ahead and nudge the person. It's supposed to be good. We're supposed to be enjoying each other. We're supposed to be growing abundant, right? It's supposed to be a joyful thing. Well, that's the way it is with Jesus. But a lot of us, because we don't understand bringing grace into sanctification, we've just become endurance works in good-intentioned believers. And you're just tired. And now it's duty. And now it's just, <sighs> I mean, anybody ever feel like you're a less than Christian? You're, you, it's, it's half empty. You're never reading enough. You're never praying enough. You're never sharing your faith enough. Anyone, right? You, you're, we're, we're, now we're scorekeepers. And we just kind of walk around with this sort of general sense of guilt and blah. Because God must somehow be bummed at me again. Right? We just kind of walk around with this, oh, man. Versus, you know, what's going on? Well, part of this is we don't understand grace. Daily grace. I love this quote. We've shared it several times. The principle of grace is as fundamental to Christianity as that of justice is to law or love is to marriage. Christianity cannot be understood apart from an adequate grasp of grace. The doctrine of grace distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world as well as from the cults. Rightly understood and applied, and applied, okay? The doctrine of grace can revolutionize one's Christian life. And that's my heart for us today. Some of you, I believe, even today, my prayer is, Lord, help us all, help even one person today to leave here revolutionized, just having understood it a little bit more. Right? We looked at this diagram of really the, the central role of grace in our life. Grace touches everything in our life. There's nothing in your life or in my life that is not, if you're a believer, rooted in God's grace. Grace. Now that second circle of knowledge, assent, and trust, that's, our, that's biblical faith. Biblical faith has three elements. You have to know what the Bible says. You assent. You agree to what the Bible says. And then trust. You've got to trust what the Bible says, as much as you trust those chairs you're sitting in, do you trust the Bible, God's word, as much as right now, with as much peace and security as that chair you're resting in? When we apply that and you bring grace into every area of your life, watch out. Watch out. Because then God, in his supernatural grace, begins to supernaturally what? Transform you from the inside out transform you your circumstances may not change people around you may not change your finances may not change your health may change but at the core god's working on your heart from the inside out as you bring grace appropriate grace into every area of your life right and so we looked at the apostle paul we've been looking at the apostle paul as an example for salvation remember apostle paul by the grace of god I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God, right? Remember the Apostle Paul, persecutor, throwing Christians in prison, torturing them, responsible for murdering them, 
He gets saved. Has this radical conversion experience. What does he do? What's our lesson through that? He received God's grace. He said, you know what? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. A week ago, I was putting Christians in prison. I'm responsible for a lot of murders. I was uh, separating families, destroying lives. And he shows up at church saved. He shows up at church. Imagine how that went over. Imagine how that went over, that first church service. But what was his only thing he could say? What is the only thing he had to hold on to? God's grace. I know it's crazy. I know some of you still hate me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? And many of you have that same story in here. Many of you, except for the grace of God, would not be here today. Amen? Many of you, including myself, except for the grace of God, may not even be on this planet. But by the grace of God. Right? And we looked at that example and we said, Lord, help us to turn our testimony the days before we knew you, Jesus. Help us to turn receiving grace and who we are in Christ today into the testimony. See, a lot of the church, we we bury our past. We're ashamed of our past. We bear some guilt. We're still living in the past. What did the Apostle Paul do to free himself from his past? He used it as the testimony. Amen? That's what you have to do. If you're going to trust the Word of God, then you've got to trust what God says about you, who you are today. And in that trust, you go out into the community and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I used to do this, used this, yeah, yeah, the boys from Nordoff, they still remember me. They're like, what are you? Remember you Friday night after the football games? And you show up and you're like, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So if we're going to be free from our past, grace turns it into freedom. Grace turns our past into the present testimony. Amen? So you've got to be free from your past. Because by the grace of God... Some of you are already smiling. You're like, that's right. I am what I am by the grace of God. What are you? New creation, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your name is written in heaven as you sit here. Amen? We talked about the emoji. God's smiling right now. Smiley emoji at you. He actually likes you. Why? Because you're adopted as sons into his family. Remember all this? Always covered. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And then we saw the Apostle Paul give us an incredible example of, of, of grace in everyday life. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, the thorn, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul had had this great vision of heaven. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Present tense, right? Grace brought forward into his life. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What do we take away from here? We saw that this thorn, this thing, this railroad stake was tormenting Paul. We saw the lesson was that Paul, like many of us, 
do what we, I call, we, he did the prayer of subtraction. Lord, take this away. How many of us? Something's a circumstance issue, and we do the prayer of subtraction. Lord, take this away. Please take this away. Take this away. If you only take this away, things will be better. We do oftentimes the prayer of subtraction, and God's like, Jesus is like, nope. How about you do the prayer of addition? Bring my grace into this, Paul. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. See, and so it radically changes Paul and can radically revolutionize and change your, my view right now of whatever relationship, whatever issue you're going through, whether it's relationship, financial, health, right now. Some of you this week may have been praying the prayer of subtraction. And right now God's like, you see, just, you got to bring my grace into this. My grace is sufficient for your need. When it says sufficient, it means quantity and quality. Anything you're going through right now, his grace is, is it? It can radically change right now something that happened this week. Instead of saying, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. He's like, Lord, I pray, show me what it means. Show me what it means. Show me what it means to add your grace to this. Show me what it means that your power is made perfect in my weakness. Show me, God. I got to be in the right lane. I want to be in the right lane to receive this grace in this situation, right? Brought this up here for a reason. If you've been here, I love props, right? How many of you have been at Costco when this is out there on the, on the, on the, in the end cap, right? I'm walking by Costco. I'm like, heat. Then you go back, right? And this is like designed the way it is. What do you call this? A parabola or something like that? Parabolic curve. Right? So this is heat right to you. The heat only goes right there, right there. Anything here, no heat. And I was thinking of that this morning. This is how kind of like messed up I am when I'm prepping for like, I'm like, Lord, how am I going to get them to understand like receiving and positioning yourself to be, receive your grace? See, this is on all the, this is on. The heat is going out all the time. It's like God's grace, God's grace. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's always on. God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. He's waiting for me to position myself to be in it. To visit. If I go here, no heat. Literally, I can't feel anything. Heat. No heat. Right? A lot of us in church, we're out here. We're doing everything we can except getting where we need to be for God's grace. Amen? We could be this close. And I'm this close. I still don't feel it. Now I feel it. The question is, what are you doing? Are you positioning yourself? Because God's grace is always on. God's grace is always on. Right? It is on. Are you positioning yourself to receive what's already there? To be right now, whatever's going on in my life, if this heat is representative of God's grace, whatever's going on in my life, his grace is covering me. I am immersed in it right now. I can choose to do this. And we're going to ask, well, why? Why would anybody choose to do that? Isn't that a great question? 
why would anybody then? If it's, as, if it's on all the time and I can position myself to be in the lane to be right, right now receiving it all over me, why would I choose to do this? Mark, isn't that makes no sense, right? Isn't that crazy? A little bit, right? 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 Big time, right? Here to here. It's a choice. What causes us? Why, why aren't we just, right, getting the gray suntan, right? What, what is that? And we looked, and we, we saw this passage. It moves us forward. What was the thorn given? Why was it given to Paul? To deal with his what? Pride. Pride. One of the foundations to positioning myself to receiving God's grace is my pride. As crazy as that sounds, it's pride. And two weeks ago, we spent a long time looking at, at pride. And pride isn't necessarily walking around with a puffed up and look at me and sh- big show off. A lot of us think that that's what it is. No. Pride is really having to do with an internal view of myself. I create a pedestal. And, and without even looking prideful, in fact, I may appear very shy... I'm actually carrying a lot of pride, and it mostly has to do with how I view myself in comparison to you. It's haughtiness from the inside out, right? A great example is Proverbs 26:16 says this: "A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer, answer discreetly." Now check it out. Anybody here aspire to be a sluggard? Lazy person, right? But check this out. This verse means that a sluggard is prideful in his sluggardliness. Even a sluggard can be prideful because he's wiser in my own eyes. Look, I know I'm a sluggard, but I'm still better than you. See, pride has to do with this internal view of myself, and then I start comparing that. It doesn't have to do with grand achievements. You could be a sluggard and be prideful because it's a heart issue right pride is the root cause of satan satan's fall was what pride he wanted to be god wanted to elevate himself right in genesis he used the same tactic on adam and eve you will be like god he touched that point in, in, in their flesh you will be like god this pride we got we want to be in control we want to call the shots right there's this great quote pride is a state of mind or more essentially a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of god over his life with the rule of his own will instead of depending entirely on god as was god's design a proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and evil This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God to become like God. Pride puts self on the throne. Pride puts self on the throne, right? It's an elevation of self. And then there's impact on relationships. I love what it it says about uh, pride in uh, the message. I'll even look at the message, Proverbs 13.10. Arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord. But wise men and women listen to each other's counsel. Pride. Go back and look at how many times you get in an argument 
And in your pride, you're unwilling to admit you're wrong. Anyone? This morning? <laughs> right? All the married couples are like, oh, that's one of those elbow things, right? Where does discord come from? A lot of his pride. My opinion. I'm right. You're wrong, right? Right? In fact, you look at Peter. Oftentimes, Peter's conflicts with Jesus was an issue of pride. Jesus tells his boys, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. Da, 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 da. And what does Peter, the Bible says, Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, what are you, crazy? Not you. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Jesus tells his boys, hey, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to bail. What does Peter say? Not me. It's pride. Peter was so full of pride and being right that he was rebuking and contradicting Jesus. Jesus. And I think, you know, before we throw Peter under the bus, we have to be real careful. Because when we choose not to walk in obedience, what are we doing? The same thing. We're saying, Lord, my way's the right way. God says to forgive. When you and I choose not to forgive, what are we telling God? You're wrong. I know better in this situation. I know it's better not to forgive. Same root issue of pride. It's the same root issue of us wanting to be on the throne, right? Pride is willful arrogance, claiming to yourself what is really God's. It is essentially a lust for power, and it is far more prevalent than in rulers alone. Pride besets the commonest of people. It is no respecter of persons or position. In a power-centric society, pride is at the top of the list of sins. Today, many of us are routinely tempted with pride. Much of our very environment seduces us with pride. It is a sin of which we should constantly be aware and seek to restrain. If a person tells me they have no pride, then I know I'm dealing with a person who does not know themselves very well, or else a person who is in dangerous denial. This is our culture. What is Instagram all about? What is social media very much about? Look at my lies. My life's better than your life. Click, 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 click. Post, 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 post. We're comparing. Likes. How many likes? Why do we like the likes? It's a shot of dopamine. It makes us feel good. Someone liked me. I feel good about myself. We start looking for approval from others. We start looking for status. Now we want to be an influencer. Now we know how many followers we have. What is it? It's all about pride. Pride is about you meeting my needs. Pride is about me getting, approve me, like me esteem me it's all about me 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 pride is about independence and rebellion it's all about me 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 we're we're just inundated with it and here's the crazy thing it comes into the church in fact i told the leads this this morning one of the challenges that that we have to really face constantly even here at the well probably especially here at the well is even pride of elevating ourselves that this becomes about us or about me, or about the facility. That's where it's, it's, you have to be real careful about pride, right? I've told my kids, oftentimes as they were growing up, I said, here's, here's the challenge for you and for me, for our family. As followers of Jesus, I'm not, I, I told them, I'm not really concerned about you going off the deep end as far as drugs, gangs, all that kind of stuff. 
I just kind of am more comfortable with them never going that way or not having gone that way. But what I've told my kids collectively and individually as necessary as they've grown up, I said, here's your challenge. Biggest challenge for you in following Jesus is your pride. It's going to be your pride. You're gifted. You're talented. You serve at the church. People like you. You got good friends. All the good. Your biggest challenge in life is going to be pride. And just enough to puff yourself up. Just enough to where it starts to color how you view yourself and others. Right? And it seeps in. And I think for a lot of us in the church, right, there's different churches that, that maybe minister to different demographics. This is a, this is a comfortable demographic in Ojai for the most part. For many of us, our challenge and our concern in following Jesus is not going off the deep end that way. If we're honest, it's going to be pride. It's going to be pride. We got it all together. I'm not as bad as. I got this. And we kind of start walking around a little bit, and it, then it starts to color everything. It starts to color everything, and once when we were in God's grace, and we were dependent and we were celebrating who we are in Christ, and we were just all like this. Suddenly we're like this, and we're like this, and we're just doing this. Just enough. Because we don't think we need it anymore. Because I'm good to go. I'm good to go. This is for the lesser Christians, the needy ones, the, need, the ones who need to go to Tuesday night in men's group, even though we just canceled them, right? <laughs> And so we might get this pride of, I don't need that. I don't, I don't, I'm good. I've made some progress. I read my Bible once a year. I memorize scripture, right? I give, whatever. Whatever you start to lay your, your hat on, you're building your pedestal, and suddenly you're standing on your Christian pedestal, and you start looking down on other Christians who really need to be bathed in God's grace. But me, I have progressed. I'm now as good as Mark Bodycomb. You know, you know whatever. We, we, then we start playing games and we start doing, you know, who's who in the zoo around here. And you start, uh, and, and you start getting all wrapped up in yourself. And I can't pray out loud because they're going to laugh at me. And I can't do this and I can't do this. And we're just consumed with self. And what is this consumption of self all about? Pride, right? It's a heart issue. Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of a person's heart, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So if we were to tweak that diagram from grace, this is what it looks like when we're consumed with self. Self is now the center of everything. And the four Ps, generally there's four categories. When I'm living for myself, I'm falling under one of these four Ps or more of them or all of the above. I'm living for pleasure. I'm living to try to protect myself. I'm living out of pride or I'm living out of a sense of power. And depending on what degree of the flesh I'm in, (laughs) it could be all of the above. It could be one. It could be any mixture. When self is on the throne. 
self versus grace. Self versus grace, right? And why is this super important? Because in 1 Peter 5, it says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives what? To the what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the key. If you want to be here, you're going to have to deal with pride, and you're going to have to humble yourself. Standing here and receiving God's grace daily, 24-7, for every, every need requires you to humble yourself. Humility. Because when that verse says God opposes the proud, that word opposes, we've seen it before, it's a military term. It means to line up an army against. So when you and I are prideful and self is in the center and we think we're all that and we got it all figured out, the crazy thing is God is drawing up his army and is standing opposition to you. That's pretty crazy stuff, right? This quote by Ray Stedman, it scares me to think that whenever I'm trying to live for myself, for my own advancement, that God is lined up against me. He resists that kind of thinking. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine? Like I like watching football. Can you imagine you're on the one side of your line, you're getting to run, you're running, getting to run to play, Randy. You look up and there's God and his army on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And we're like, I don't think we're going to advance this ball. I don't think the plan in the huddle is going to work against God and his boys. Yeah, time out. <laughs> time out, Ralph. We got re- to reconfigure something here because it's God and his army on the other side of the line. That's what, it, that's what that verse says. He's lined up against us, but he gives grace to the what? Humble. Now, being humble is not beating yourself up. Bad me, bad me, bad me. Idiot, idiot, idiot. How could you do that again? How could you do that again? You're so, you're so, you're so. That is not humility. That is not. In fact, that's a form of pride. Humility is simply thinking of yourself accurately, correctly, in truth, according to Scripture. Humility is having a right view of myself in light of who God is and who I am. That's true humility. Someone who's humble correctly understands you are God and I am not. That's just that's the most the best example of humility. Humility, the actual definition of the word means low, like next to the ground, not rising above. It's just staying right there, staying where you are in light of who God is. That's what it's really defined as, right? Level with the ground. John the Baptist says this No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Do you see the humility in there? John the Baptist is like, hey, I'm not the Christ. In fact, no one can give us, no one in here has anything that's not been given to you by God. Nothing you have. Nothing. Everything has been given to you by God. John the Baptist says, I'm not the Christ. I'm just like the best man. And Jesus is the groom. It's not about me. It's about him. And this is what I share with our leadership this morning. Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, the well is all about Jesus. Amen? Everything we do around here, the building, vacuuming, 
commons, the lights, everything around here is designed intentionally with forethought to point you to the main man. The main man. I was at a wedding almost a month ago, and it was kind of informal. And the bridal party was up there, and two of the groomsmen, I don't know the relationship to the groom, but I don't, I don't even know if they had a few too many before the service. But they were up there, and they were kind of jokey and kind of, and it was interesting because the service is supposed to be about the couple. And these groomsmen are kind of yucking it up, drawing attention to them. Here, everything, everything we do here, Thanksgiving dinners, yada, 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 it's all to point to the big man. If we ever become a distraction, if this is about me, if this is about the facility, if this is about our programming, we have taken a huge step this way. And now we're just running a show. Right? Humility. Humility, understanding who we are. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? When was the last time you actually sat down long enough and looked around your house? Opened up your fridge. Looked at your kids, your spouse, your closet. And go, man, God has blessed us. Everything we have is a gift. That's the beginning part of humility. When you hold it like this, and you're like, oh, oh, right? Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 29:23. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. So, if humility keeps us here, and pride is a root cause of us sliding here. Why don't we just stay there? Why is humility so hard? Why? Well, it kind of goes back to this cultural mindset we have in the United States, and really it goes all the way back to the Greek and Romans, right? In fact, neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word for humility. Neither the Greek nor the Romans had an actual word for humility. Why? Because the nature of being humble was foreign and abhorrent to them. It was, it, was, it was unthinkable for someone to positively affirm that they were humble in the Greek mindset. Because the Greeks were all about what? Priding themselves on being better than everyone. That was what was affirmed. When they first started to use the words humility, it was a sign of word of contempt. It was, you know, it was a huge put down. It was an insult. And who did they use it towards? Christians. So this whole culture is about pride and self-elevation and self-exaltation. And it's the Christian church that now goes countercultural and elevates humility. Right? So why is humility hard for us? Because a lot of us, we live by the Greeks. We live in a Greek-driven culture where we're still trying to prove ourselves. How big's your house? What kind of car you drive? What's your income? How many degrees do you have? What do you look like? How smart are you? How do you compare to? How many Facebook likes do you have? How many followers? It's that Greek mindset. We're still living in the Greek mindset. Right? 
That's what makes it so hard. Because we carry this thing and we're still wanting to be affirmed by man. We still want, we still want man's approval. We're still in that performance. It's your GPA. It's what college you go to. It's, 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 it's. If this, then I succeeded. If this, then I'm somebody. It is so Greek-minded. Right? And so we say, oh, I want to be here. But to be there means I actually have to admit I need to be here. And that admitting that I need to be here deeply rails against everything in me as a prideful human being. Right? It's this, it's this issue of, of pride manifested as self-sufficiency. Now, here's the challenge. How many of you were raised to be self-sufficient, independent, don't rely on anyone? Now, there's nothing wrong with that because there's parents in there who want to say amen to that, right? You raise your kids in a good way to, 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 to leave the nest, fly, please, <laughs> in some cases, right? Go. It's time. The problem with that is that now, okay, I've been raised to be self-sufficient. I've been raised to be independent. I've been raised to take care of myself. I guess I don't need God because I'm good to go. I had a, a friend, a good one of my best friends in college, straight up told me in college one day, I don't need God. And I knew what he meant. He didn't. He really didn't need God. He was a very good-looking guy. He was going to law school, had his whole life planned out. He was fine. No need for God. He was self-sufficient. He was good to go. How many of us are struggling with this idea of self-sufficiency still? When God's grace requires us to admit humbly that we need him. We need. I need you, God. Right? Psalm 10.4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, I love this, there is no room for God. There's no room for God. Why is there no room for God? Because I got it. I got everything figured out in my life. There's no room for God. I don't need him. God's been nicely and politely put out of the equation. I don't need God. There's no room for him. In Deuteronomy, he warned the Israelites, hey, when you get to that promised land, I'm warning you, don't forget Don't forget God. He warned them. Right? In Isaiah 2.11, it says, The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You know what what Isaiah was dealing with? He was dealing with people who had become so self-sufficient in three areas. Their wealth, their military, and the idols that they had built up. Their wealth, the military, and their idols. Those three things had said, we don't need God. There's no room for him anymore. We're good to go. I wonder for us this morning, what are you hanging your hat on? What, what, what are you resting in for your security, your esteem, your sufficiency? Revelation 3, Church of Laodicea. 
He says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. The church at Laodicea lived pretty much like an Ojai. It's a very rich, very powerful, very affluent city. The church, he's speaking to the church, had become so comfortable, so affluent, that they literally said, you know what? I'm rich. I required wealth. I don't need a thing. And Jesus comes in and says, you guys are so deceived. You're so deceived. Your spiritual condition, right? You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You've missed it. You've completely stepped out. (laughs) Your comfort, your affluence has resulted in pride and self-sufficiency, and you are so far out. And that's why this verse, which is often misused, it's him standing at the door to the church. That's what this verse is. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. Hey, I'm here. Check yourself. Repent. Where are you standing? Right? Have you been, have you been deceived by the riches, by the comforts, self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency? There's a building in New York on Fifth Avenue. And on the front of the building, there's a statue of Atlas. Go ahead, I put that up. And I think a lot of us are like Atlas. You've put the world on your shoulders. You're carrying a lot. Even in the church, you just loaded your back up and you've got the world, your world, on your shoulders. Your atlas. But what's interesting, across the street from this on Fifth Avenue is St. Paul's Cathedral. And in St. Paul's Cathedral, there's a statue of Jesus, probably like eight or nine-year-old Jesus. Go ahead, I. And you may not be able to see it, but there's a statue of Jesus right across And in his hand there, you can't really see it, he's holding the world. Boy Jesus has got the whole world in his hands. So the question is, go ahead, I. What choice? Where are you? Because which one of those you choose has a direct impact on where you're standing with God's grace coming over you. If you're Atlas and you got it all together and everything in this church requires my effort and if I leave here, this church is going to collapse, well, okay, Atlas, thanks. What about you? What are you carrying? What are you carrying today? What, what, 
What is on your shoulder that you're just, I got this, I got this, I got this. And along comes someone in the church. You need help? No, I got this. How can I pray for you? Pray for Aunt Mary, but not me. Why do we do this? It's pride, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, afraid of asking for help. I got this, man. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go to the commons. I wish we could, like, God would open our eyes to literally see that. How many atlases are in this room right now? Wouldn't that be great? Like, boom, 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 boom. It would be awesome. What do you do with the weight of the world? Because I know you love your family. I know you care deeply for those who are lost. I know you want to be passionate followers of Jesus. But are you doing this? got this man i can't take a break they need me mark do they i thought it was all god's grace right i love this quote there's a quote about trying to get people involved in the church and something they said you're only indispensable until you say no which means in the church a lot of times we build ourselves up oh they need me that thanksgiving dinner ain't gonna happen if i'm not there not going to get decorated if I'm not there, right? So you say no, and what happens? It happened anyway. In your mind, you had built yourself up as Atlas, that I'm indispensable. Until you say no, and you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of people there. It's humbling, right? question is this morning, what are you carrying? Or... You need to come to the foot of God who's got the whole world in his hands, including your world and 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 and humbly, right? Eileen, put up 1 Peter 5, 5, 5 through 7. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. To the humble. Here we go. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here we go. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So, you want first step of humbling? What do you need to cast? Because some of you right now, you're just... It's holidays, and you're getting riled up because more stuff has just been thrown on your back. What are you carrying? Because that verse says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What do you need to cast today? What do you need to cast? Because in the casting, you know what you're doing? You're admitting, this is bigger than me, God. You're God, I'm not. I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm scared to death. I can't sleep at night. I'm angry. I'm confused. I'm depressed. Maybe a lot of that's just because you got it all on your shoulders. And this morning, you need to cast on him. I need to humbly say,
Father, thank you for a place this morning where in your love we have an opportunity to cast our cares. Because there's a lot of atlases in this room. Well-meaning atlases. God-fearing, God-loving, God-people-loving even. Just lots of good, good people, believers. But maybe over time they've put the world on their shoulders, on their back. And they just came off Thanksgiving and they're looking at Christmas and beyond. And man, it's a load. And so this morning, Father, you you say that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So in humility, we come before you in this time. In humility, we admit our weakness. In humility, we admit we don't have all the answers. In our humility, we confess you are God and we are not. In our humility, we come to your throne. I love that statue of boy Jesus. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so in humility this morning, we, we give you our world. All the good and all the ugly, we give it to you. We cast our cares upon you. The Bible says, why? Because you care for us. Father, I'm tired of being an, I'm tired of being Atlas. Because when I'm Atlas, then I get angry, then I get impatient. Then it's all about me, and it's all about what I think, and all about what I want to do, and all about me, 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 because I'm just Atlas, and I've got to carry the load. And Father, I confess my own sin and shortcoming in this area. And so in these moments before communion, we... uh, We humble ourselves and take some moments to cast our cares to confess our sin of pride and self-sufficiency to cry out to you Abba at your throne of grace for your grace this morning which you say is sufficient you say it's sufficient so on the authority of your word father I'm calling you I'm calling you out on that, that you said it's sufficient, so I'm going to trust you because I'm tired of being Atlas. I'm just going to trust you.